You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. You can grab your Bible, your scriptures, turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, we're in today. We'll be starting in verse 1, Joshua 24. I've got a couple pictures to get through uh, since we've been gone a couple weeks, so I believe this is our one from Joshua 23, where Joshua was, Malachi, he was advanced in age. He was old, so I think that's Joshua lying down there, right? So they let him lie down to give the speech, maybe. That's how it was, and uh, those gathered around him. The beards are getting really good, Malachi, so thank you. Uh, the next one was last week. This is, here's Lincoln here. Uh, oh, what does it say? Oh, it says, did I miss one? So many gods. Did I miss one? Ah! And so there's all these gods that Paul was dealing with in Acts 17. And if you're wondering what that was all about, listen again to the podcast from last, last weekend. So thank you, Lincoln. You caught it. They're catching it. So adults, you're always welcome to draw. Please turn them into me and, and uh, be part of that. All right, well, hopefully by this time you're in Joshua 24. Now, we're going to be looking just at verses 1 through 13 today. I'm, I'm not going to take this whole passage, um, but, I'm, but I do want to read through verse 28. So I'm going to read the entire, well, most of the chapter, and then we'll look at through verse uh, 13 today. I want you to be listening, especially today. Listen here for the I words, I. When you hear that word I, just kind of make a note of it. And you're going to hear it a lot, so just be listening for that as I read. So God's Word, Joshua 24, verse verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived In the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of uh, Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. 
It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. The people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, then, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Let me pray for our time together. Lord, thank you again. We are so blessed to read your word, to have your word to us for the life it gives, the life it points to, Lord. It points to Jesus. It points to you, your story, your glory, your reign. Lord, our, our wanderings, your grace. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will work through the words of my frail mouth today for your glory. May the words we've heard from your scripture be the words we remember. May you, our God, be the God we remember. May we not remember the messenger. Any quotes, Lord, other than your grace, your greatness. So we pray you would bless our time together as we study this particular section. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if this section of Joshua, and the reason I I read all of it. It's, I wonder if it's not even the most well-known section of Joshua. You think of Joshua, and, and I don't know if, if you even have, maybe you have the coffee mug or whatever. It's, I mean, if you're going to put something on a shirt, it's either choose this day whom you're going to serve or 
as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those are just, they're part of the, even, even just our Christian culture, those phrases in here. Our focus today here is on, on that phrase, choose this day whom you will serve, but we're on the whom. So we're going to look next week, we're going to look at this choosing, the serving, and even look, you know, why, what's Joshua saying, what are the people saying, that sort of thing. So we'll look at that next week. But for this week, again, we're just going to focus, who is the whom? Choose this day whom? What about the whom? This God that they're called to serve. In one way, we've looked at this throughout Joshua. There's nothing really new here other than new to us who need reminding of this God every day, perhaps every hour. We can remember the Lord. Oh, yes, he's that, and he's this, and he's great, and he's mighty. And the next hour we're going, I don't remember. Yeah, I guess it's kind of forgotten. So we need to remember who this is. So let's dive in. Head back with me to verse 1. We see this Joshua here. He's gathering all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, summons the elders, the heads, judges, officers of Israel. They present themselves before, before God. If you look back in chapter 23, where kind of I think we left off two weeks ago, there's the same gathering. There's a gathering to Joshua of some of the same people, the elders, heads, judges, officers. You, you could even say... If you were remembering two weeks ago, there's similar themes here of chapter 23 and chapter 24. Similar themes of remembering the Lord's work, this this calling, cling to the Lord your God, serve Him only, these ideas, both in both chapters. So you might say, well, what makes chapter 24 unique? Is it just simply a repeat of 23? We've kind of heard this already, or what's going on here? I think there's some unique things, some things we can look at. Chapter 23, Joshua, thanks to Malachi's picture, old and advanced in years. That's kind of the, the focus there. In chapter 24, his age, it's not mentioned. We don't see that mentioned. So chapter 23 kind of seems to be Joshua's final appeal, his personal appeal to Israel to follow their God. But, but there's something different in this chapter that we're in. And what's different, you have that phrase, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. God, if you didn't pick up on it, God is the one doing the speaking, especially, I mean, he's, all of his scripture is God's word, but there's this communication, this thus says the Lord in verses 2 through 13, his personal address to the people of Israel. So there's a sense, chapter 23, kind of an older wise man, giving his direction. 24, there's a sense of standing in the presence of God. And that's what we see at the end of verse 1. They presented themselves before the Lord or before God. The scene, it's kind of reminiscent of the people of Israel presenting themselves before the Lord at Mount Sinai when they had come out of Egypt. There's, I think that same idea. And many see in this chapter an indications throughout this chapter, of an ancient covenant ceremony. The ceremony of covenant. Even this very place of, of Shechem, if you remember, you may not recall, chapter 13, we looked at this place, although I don't think Shechem was mentioned, but this place between Mount, Mount Ebal, where there was the curse, Mount Gerizim, the blessing, the speaking back, if you obey, if you don't, blessings and cursings, this sorts of ideas for the people in the land. 
that was at Shechem. It's a historically significant place. And I think covenantally, this agreement, God and man, a significant place. And so thinking of covenants, just to uh, review a couple terms, as we think of covenant, chapter 13, we looked at that idea. Do you remember that, that term we used, suzerain? Suzerain, if I'm saying it right. Suzerain and the vassal. The, the suzerain, think of the one who reigns, the, the reigning one, the authority of the land, the ruler. And the vassal being the one who serves that, that ruler. So the land here that Joshua, where we've been, the land they've come into, it's Yahweh's land. It's God's land. He's the suzerain. And Israel is the vassal. They live in his land. It is their land, but they live under the king, the true king of the land, the Lord. And there's certain obligations to living in the Lord's land, living under the Lord. And this relationship is set up via covenant, via an agreement. The suzerain will do this. The vassal will do this. I've got one chart to show you from the ESV Study Bible. If you have a, one of those, you've already got it. It's right in your, in your pages there. But this is a, maybe a helpful chart. We're not going to go through it all. But there's different sections to these, these ancient covenant-type ceremonies at the time. And these were even in, in secular, secular use so, or pagan use. Um, but God uses those things, and he sets this up in this certain way. There's a, I'm just looking on the left side. There's a preamble. Introduces the suzerain. So, Who's speaking? Thus says the Lord. There's, that's the suzerain or the sovereign. There's a historical prologue recounting the suzerain's past gracious dealings. Well, that's where we're at in 2 through 13. How has he graciously dealt in the past? This, this ruler, what's, how has he dealt? And then there's some stipulations. Okay, what are, what are the vassal's responsibility in the suzerain? There's a written record. There's a law. There's a book. There's those sorts of things. Uh, to the covenant agreement. There's witnesses uh, are named. You're a witness to this. You saw this. You remember this. And then the blessings and cursings. In, in this, it's not a, maybe a separate section, but they're saying it's implicit throughout. Maybe that helps you distinguish chapter 23, kind of Joshua's words, and then chapter 24, this, this covenant, as it's even uh, titled there, this covenant renewal at Shechem. They're renewing this covenant idea here. Well, today we're just looking at this preamble, this historical prologue, also sections of this. And next week we're going to look more uh, at the response to what we're studying today. But again, we just want to meditate here in this area on this God who has called his people to himself. And that's what we have after this phrase, thus says the Lord in verse 2. And it's really throughout here, it's a wonderful recounting of the story of God's people from the call of Abraham to the land they now dwell in. It's like a short history course on the people of Israel. And I know we're separated some 3,400 years from this particular story and account. But I would encourage you as we study through this, even hopefully as we read through it, ponder the work of the same God He has not changed in your life. So we're going to look at kind of four different episodes through here, different episodes, the work of the suzerain, God the sovereign one who worked by his grace in the lives of his people. And the text is going to trace this story from Abraham 
to Egypt, to the land beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan, and then into the promised land. Let's look at uh, Abraham first. Look at verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, and here it is, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. I've got one more map. We've got to do a map, right? One more map. You know, they're just so fun. I don't know if you enjoy these, but uh, you got Ur. Do I? Yeah, it's still up here. Are we on? Oh, I'm out of battery. Well, you can find See, that's on the right side. Ur, kind of Abraham. Thank you back there, phantom red light. Okay. Ur over there on the right side, kind of where Abraham uh, grew up, his birthplace. And then Haran up, if you can find it up there, kind of where God is calling them out to the promised land. That's kind of gives you some idea in the Middle East of just where Abraham has come from, this, this area beyond the Euphrates. Thank you, guys. Here's what's fascinating. As I just read this again this week or, or uh, last week in preparation, we don't typically think of Abraham this way, but do you realize he and his family were, in fact, idolaters? Abraham served other gods. Uh, verse 2, that's what God says to Israel. He says, your fathers served other gods. And the word here, serve, it's the same serve that Israel's called to serve the Lord, to serve God. And so verse 3, look at verse 3, what happens to idolaters, to those that serve other gods. Verse 3, God speaking, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And what begins here in verse 3 is the continual kind of over and over repetition of God's mighty works on behalf of his people. Here in verse 3, God took, God led, God multiplied. See that? Just, I did, I did, I did. And he even gave Isaac to Abraham. Four ways in which God was at work. So we can say here, God is the one bringing an idolater to himself. It's, one commentator calls this, in this, this section even, divine grace. And we need to see overwhelmingly the hand of God over his people. It's, it's not that Abraham sort of caught God's eye. Boy, look, I bet there's, there's a spark there. He took, God took an idolatrous person, called him out, and brought him to himself. Look at verse 4, because the story goes on from there, to Abraham, to the offspring. Verse 4, and to Isaac. So Isaac, son of Abraham, to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And so the line is traced, Abraham to the line of Jacob, in other words, Israel, from the gift of Isaac. And remember, even, even Isaac was a gift to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, and then threw on down, and so forth. God gave children, and so forth, gave Jacob and Esau. We've got Esau heading to the hill country. And then we've got the story continuing through Jacob's line, Israel. Jacob went down to Egypt. It's not in the text here, but we can kind of fill in the story from what we know, from what we've read in, the, uh, in Genesis, that story coming down again, God saving his people 
from famine by what? By placing Jacob's sons, one of them, Joseph, in charge basically of Egypt in order to save his people, to spare them. And eventually all of Israel moved, some 70 of them moved to Egypt to be spared from the famine. And yet over time, over the years, many, many years, the pharaohs, the leaders of Egypt begin to deal harshly with Israel put them into slavery, and so we find them in slavery in Egypt, but God is still at work. The story continues through all these harsh things that are going on. God is at work. So look at verse 5 then. And I sent Moses and Aaron. Who sent? I sent. And I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. It's almost, I mean, through here, you're going to hear this over and over. There's a you see the focus here of what God is doing? I did this. It's me. It's me. It's me. The same God who calls out an idolater to bless him and multiply his offspring, thinking of Abraham, he's also going to deliver his people from slavery. And then look at verses 6 through 7. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, verse 7, and when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. We're going to look at this just, just a little bit more in depth, a little bit. Exodus 14 records this instance. If you want to go back and read, it's a gr- such a great story. I mean, there's this... This line that God will fight for you. Rest in him. But great passage, Exodus 14, of Israel being delivered out of that bondage to slavery and into towards the promised land. And God, if we remember back, God via his powerful plagues, his work in Egypt, he delivers his people from Pharaoh. In fact, remember they plundered the Egyptians with no swords. They just they plundered them, took took their goods, took what they had, and, and, and up and left. And after they leave, after Israel comes out, what happens to Pharaoh? His heart is hardened. God hardens his heart again, and, he, and Pharaoh begins to pursue after Israel. Israel sees this, and their reaction is not. When they're, they're heading out, they get to the place, they're kind of by the Red Sea, They see the pursuit, and their reaction is not, oh, good, let's watch God provide again. It's going to happen. Their reaction is directed to Moses with a complaint. It goes like this, and kind of paraphrase, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. These are people, again, we look at this story and go, these are people that have seen God's work. They've seen him in the plagues and all these things. They've seen this. And yet Moses says to them, watch this. Watch what your God is going to do. And what does God do? God, in his grace, he delivers his people, his complaining people. It's people that said, I, where's God? Let's, it, we're better off back there. You see grace intermixed with God's deliverance. This is not, boy, these people are really being faithful to me. I'm going to keep it up. These are people that are not faithful. God, in his grace, calls them to faithfulness. But his mercy, as well as he leads them. 
He puts up a wall of darkness between them and the Egyptians, parts the Red Sea, and then the, the enemy goes in, Red Sea over them. God delivers. I want you to look in this section a little bit. Just I want you to look at pronouns. Pronouns are really interesting in this section, and there's some interesting wording here. Uh, here's what the account, I'll just try to look through them here. Uh, verse 6, so God's speaking, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Okay, so we're talking about your fathers. So this is Israel looking back on their fathers. And then this interesting pronoun, and you came to the sea. And we should go, well, I thought it was the fathers. Shouldn't it be they, right? Okay, let's try it again. The Egyptians, so it goes on. The Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you I mean, we would expect they, you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. Okay, right, cover them. That's the right pronouns. And then it switches again. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness. He's talking about people years apart from what happened, but there's this switching of these pronouns in here. And I think it's significant. I think... I think there's a connection here of the present-day Israel, those that, are, that Joshua is speaking to, and those of their fathers. This happened to them, but you saw it. In other words, the story of the fathers is the story of Israel, and so it's their current story. They, they are one people in this way. I, I think in a, in a New Testament way of thinking about this, it's the same for us. There, we are disciples of the Lord. But we look back and, and Jesus, give, Jesus walks with his disciples, trains them, gives the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And yet we, all these years later, can look back in the line and say the same Savior that's, that calmed the sea is our same Savior. So in a sense, we're there in the boat and through God's word, graciously, we're able to look at it and say, we saw that too. I know we weren't there, but we're seeing it through God's word. There's a connection of the story of God's redemption through history and a story of his people. Well, the account of God's grace and glory continues then in verse verse 8. I'll be a little more brief on these. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Again, if you take that last sentence of verse 8, you see it there. They fought, I gave them into your hand. Or you could, or you could, could kind of put the first and the last part of the sentence. They fought with you, I destroyed them. And then in the middle, I gave them into your hand, and you took possession. You see what I have done. They were f- fighting, you got their land. But it's not because of you. It's because of me, the Lord, your God. Then in verses 9 through 10, you've got a story we've looked at before, that story of Balak and Balaam and and that donkey. Uh, Look at verse 9. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Now, I'm not sure on the exact timing, and I'm kind of basing, uh, watching some teaching on this. I think along with you, uh, when we looked, I think it was at the book of Numbers in one of our Sunday school classes, 
But it would seem like that at the same time as God is blessing his people, Numbers 25 speaks of his people whoring after other gods, the Baal of Peor, at around the same time, which, which makes the blessing of God quite unique. There's a blessing in the midst of their whoring after other gods. God is not blessing them for that. It's his, his grace on them, his mercy and grace to a wayward and sinful people. And so again, the story of Israel, it's not a story of their conquering sin and living righteously so as to garner the favor of God. It's their bent towards almost page by page running opposite of this loving God who's in pursuit of his people. And it's his grace over and over in their lives again and again. Then it's brought up to our current time. Look at verses 11 through 12. God's still speaking. The history's still going. Look at this suzerain. Look at this sovereign one. Verse 11, And you went over the Jordan, came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. As to the hornet here, I think it's really a fulfillment of what God has promised. Uh, There's a section in Deuteronomy, I think it's 7, but also Exodus 23, that God would send the hornets before you, before Israel, which would drive out all these ites, the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites, that sort of thing. Now, as to if these are real hornets, which may bring up some interesting drawings for, for next week, we don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm inclined to think it's, it's a figure of speech to think about this idea, this terror of God. At least one source I was looking at said you could look at this word hornet as kind of this, this idea of God's destruction, God's terror going before them. But can God use actual real hornets? Yeah, absolutely. So, Whatever the case, God is going before his people with terror, going before them, which will drive out the people. And so in the way, the hornets would clear the way so God was at work in front of his people. It's such a helpful phrase, not by your sword or by your bow. Did Israel use a sword? Yeah, or a bow. But what this says is it was an instrument of God in the hands of mere men. God is still doing this. He's using ordinary means to accomplish, to borrow a phrase, to accomplish his extraordinary work. He works amongst us. I'm up here preaching. I'm I'm a a mere man, a weak man, preaching. God uses these things, not because of our, that we can boast and say, I'm this and that. It's God does it. God uses our fellowship with one another to encourage us. Evangelism. Chad shared about that last week. Evangelism. And I appreciate it. He's talking about the, the methods. Well, don't look at all the methods. Think about who it is you're sharing about. Because he's the one at work. God is. God uses our prayer to accomplish his work, his will, as we're learning about in prayer meeting. We celebrate communion with, you know, a little cup. A little piece of bread. God uses these, these means by His grace in our lives. 
And he uses especially the sword of God's word. God shows his grace in our lives, calls us to himself so that we can say, it's not my preaching, it's not my evangelism, it's not my anything, this is God at work. Our boast is to be in the Lord. And, and verse 13 here just does a, just kind of a wonderful summary in case we missed it. Okay, verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards which you did not plant. Land, you didn't work for this land. I gave it to you. Cities, you're dwelling in them. They're, your, they're yours You didn't build them. I gave them to you. Fruit, it's yours. I gave it to you. Next week, we're going to continue. We'll look at this therefore because that's important. So therefore what? And it is. Fear the Lord. Serve him. So don't feel like you can't read on or study on for next week. Look at that. But my desire just this week is for us to just, just simply consider who it is that has called you by his grace. Verse 15, Joshua is going to go out. It's going to call it to the people. You choose this day whom you will serve. Is it going to be these other gods, these false gods? Or is it going to be the God, the God who has called them, the God who has called us in Christ? I told you to, to listen for the eyes, the I words through there. And some of, the, some of the verbs don't put an I with it, not repetitive, but you could. You could pencil it in there, but I, I, I. I come up in my count here about 20 to 25 times. You, you, here's a challenge for your week. Count them up. See if you can come up with a solid number there where, where it is God who says, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. So on and so on. I gave, I sent. So again, the encouragement, consider this one who does this work. To do that, I want us to turn to the New Testament, just one little section. We've read it before, 1 Corinthians, if you would turn there in your scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, not an unfamiliar place. I can't remember how many weeks ago, we, maybe it was two weeks ago we've been here. But 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 26, and I'll read through 31. Paul's going to state, as you're on your way there, he's going to state later in this book, kind of this phrase, and this is what came to my mind as I was thinking about Joshua and 24 and and all these eyes, and I did this, and I did this, and that that phrase, what do you have that you did not receive? That's, That's later in the book here. He asked them, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you boast like you got this? What do you have that you did not receive from the Lord? And if you were thinking and here last weekend with Chad that God gives life and breath to to all. Everything comes from the Lord. So look at what Paul says here. Hopefully you're in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. I'm going to read through 31 here. What he says, and, and, and see if you can't claim, along with Joshua 24, that it is God who has done all this. Here's what it says. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers, now we, 2,000 years later, we're kind of in this. If you're in Christ, if you're trusting for him, in him, you've repented of sins, this is for consider your calling brothers, sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose 
what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, why did he do this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, there's a really important pronoun, who? Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That question has been asked, what, what do we contribute to our salvation? What do we bring to God in our salvation? You might recognize the familiar answer. We bring our sin. We bring our weakness. We bring our foolishness. God brings light and new life to us. Are you in Christ? He did this, so praise the Lord. Are are you walking with him today? He's doing that. Praise the Lord. Is he revealing, maybe in this past week, is he revealing your sin to you? Somebody has pointed out your sin. Praise God, he's at work in you. Have you been drawn even to open up his word? He's at work. Praise the Lord. The one who calls is the one who sustains And he calls us, as we're going to see in Joshua, he calls us to worship, to fear him rightly, to serve him. And yet even in that, we we must realize his grace is already at work in us. Realize the great God whom we are called out from the worship of any other God, that he has called us out to worship him alone. We're going to sing, it's fitting, that, that last song we're going to sing today, In Christ Alone is a wonderful, I think, response to this. And I hope as you're singing some of the thoughts of where we've been in Joshua, just hear, even in that song, what God has done. I mean, here's the first lyrics. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. There's not a blank for I'm working on being my light, I'm working on being stronger, I'm working on it's Him. This cornerstone, this solid ground, Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let's pray together. Father, please forgive us for where we have thought we have stood strong and by our own might accomplished something. Lord, we're prone in our pride to say it was me. I had something to do with that. Lord, we recognize you use people. All glory to you, Lord. Father, you're the same God, the same God that 20 to 25 times said, I have provided, I have given, I have delivered. You are the same God, and we are your children if we're in Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, may those that know you as Savior be comforted today. This is our God. Lord, for those that have been striving, perhaps trying to work out being good enough to be saved, praying enough the right way enough times, 
Lord, may you bring them to the true rest, not of, of land itself, the promised land, but rest in Christ. And we pray that you would work in those lives as well today. Thank you for your grace on us. Emmanuel, God with us, we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.